Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to yet another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Unlike some people that are maybe speculating that the manager has given up, maybe certain players. Not us, Dan. Not you and I. Maybe Nick, because Nick's not here. Well, Nick is enjoying a fun bachelor party weekend out in Phoenix. So, uh, hello, Nick, to when you listen back to this at some point in the near future. Uh, but, Brandon, I, I think the match was a little dull. We should just go in and maybe recap Avengers Infinity War. I saw that. I'm sure everyone wants to get spoiled in the first three minutes of this podcast, so I can start on that if you'd like. Um, I didn't put the spoiler on this one, so we might have to postpone that for post-pod discussion. Um, but, you know, as always, we have to, you know, fill in when Nick's not around. Uh, above and beyond, Clayton, Mr. Beerman, we have got you back on the pod. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks very much for inviting me back. Always a pleasure. Uh, and especially excited to be talking about the, uh, the fine fare that was served up yesterday. <laughs> 
I, I watched a bunch of sports this weekend. I watched the uh, the Celtics win and head to play Philly in the next round of the NBA playoffs. I watched the Bruins smash the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is a very weird thing to be in the city where you're rooting against the opposite team. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this Chelsea match was the, the worst of all the matches or games I've watched this weekend. So very excited to talk about it. And we will because it could have been much, much worse. So I think we have a little bit to be grateful for um, with that. <coughs> Get that out of the way. All right, but real quick, without Nick, we still want to do a shout-out to World Soccer Shop, Dan. Obviously, we're seeing quite a few images of the new leak kit, potentially, maybe. Uh, obviously, they're going to have it right away. Yeah, you know, we want to keep in mind that World Soccer Shop has been a great partner for us this season. We really appreciate everything they do. And you can sign up for email updates from them. You can subscribe to their Instagram or Twitter accounts for up-to-date information as quick as it happens. But once they get the new Chelsea kits, it will be the place to pick them up. So go ahead to worldsoccershop.com and give them a little love. All right, well, let's go ahead and dig right into the Swansea City match review. Obviously, it was a Premier League match down, over, across the way at the Liberty Stadium, Clayton. Obviously, uh, one of the few teams uh, outside of England in the Premier League. Uh, The only, uh, but... um Interestingly, Cardiff may be making up the numbers whether Swansea can stay up. So then we'll have two over the border sides to play next year. But yeah, no, it's a interesting concept of having them in the English Premier League. Yeah, and I think I said outside the Premier League. Obviously, I meant outside of England. So apologies on that. Yeah. Uh, I knew what you meant. I know, you threw you off a little bit. Uh, score, Blues 1, Swans 0. We didn't have any correct score predictions, and, and I kind of got to bring some attention to this, Dan. Uh, we didn't have any because nobody guessed last week. So I'm guessing Jay couldn't be bothered this week. I mean, people, we, we got to get together. We got to finish the season strong. Well, I do I do believe Jay was enjoying a, uh, a Disney World vacation, though, according to the uh, the Instagram photos. So I, I don't blame him for taking a week off. You know, it's it's good to relax. It's good to refresh. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good uh, that no one guessed. Absolutely. Maybe. I mean, it was a good, it was a good opportunity, but no, Jay, I'm just giving, just want to call that out. Obviously he's done a great job all season of posting predictions. So, uh, a, a vacation well-deserved. So anyways, Dan, you can go ahead and run us through the lineup on the Premier League site. They are calling it a three, five, one, one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they, they don't even have it displayed that way in the official lineup though. So that's very interesting. Uh, but Thibaut Courtois in the sticks, uh, Rudiger Cahill, Aspilicueta, uh, Emerson getting his chance to play yet again for the vacation to Marcus Alonso, uh, along with Seth Fabregas and Golo Kante, Bakayoko and Victor Moses in the midfield with a little Eden Hazard and Giroud up top. Willie Caballero, Zappacosta, Christensen, Barkley, William, Morata, and Pedro all on the bench with the last three getting the opportunity for substitute appearances after the 80th minute. We were not surprised. Clayton, uh, one thing is kind of interesting. So Emerson made his debut about a week, week and a half ago. And, and after that match, Conte said, I don't know if he can play two games in three, four days or whatever it is. He has now played three games back to back to back this season. And uh, I think he's looked pretty good having come off a massive ACL surgery. What do you think about Emerson? Uh, class act. Really like him. Um, 
fitted in perfectly. I think he's a slightly different option to uh, Alonso, um, but but really good. Um, I've sort of been very impressed with the way that he has fitted in. I've been impressed with his defending, and I've been impressed with um, his crossing. Um, didn't have as much opportunity to get crosses in yesterday, but I thought, um, just harking back to the Burnley game, um, some of the balls he put in were, were fantastic. Um, I think um, we've got two quality left-backs now. I really do. Um, I'm really happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that people don't remember is that when we were looking at Alexandro and... Juventus were kind of sniffing around who the backup to Sandro would be after we would drop, you know, 60 million pounds or whatever to make it the largest defender purchase of, of all history. Uh, Emerson was the person that Juventus were looking at as the replacement. So I, I don't think, I think we're maybe more surprised that he's gotten as much opportunity. And that's, I think, the, the, the one side benefit of Alonso's ungangly tackle uh, red card situation is that Emerson has now had this opportunity, uh, similar to how Christensen got an opportunity earlier this season when when Lees you know missed a stretch of games. So, uh, you know, I agree, Clayton. I, I think we're very lucky now to have someone who. Uh, especially heading into next season, is going to have an opportunity because he he's both he can play that wing option if you want to play him as a wing back, but he also can play a left back role as well. So we give an option in a three or a four set. Yeah, I think he, I mean he he basically he looks more of a defender than Alonso, but I'm not saying that in any sort of way to denigrate. Alonso's defending. I know that sounds like I'm arguing against myself, but I think Alonso is basically fantastic going forward. Sometimes gets called out uh, at the back, but I, I do. I think the only thing I would say to sort of put it into context is that in the last three games where he has looked very good, um, we haven't really been tested that much at the back. Um, but I'm sure we'll come on to um, talking about defence a bit later. We definitely will, uh, so no worries about that. But uh, I thought it was kind of crazy before we get into Fabregas' goal that if you look at the stat line, essentially it's even with Swansea, but yet the table completely opposite sides. Possession 51% to Swansea, three shots on target apiece, 10 shots total for Swansea, 11 for Chelsea. I mean, the the passes, the touches, the the you know the only thing that kind of is crazy to me is that we had 27 clearances to their nine. And, and, and like I said kind of earlier in this in this episode in the intro, uh, this could have been a very different result had things not gone Chelsea's way. Obviously, with a great start, Dan, fourth minute, Fabregas coming off assist from Hazard. It's a great finish, you know, far post, upper 90. But don't let me take away from, from what you have. Oh, I, I think the, the vision from Hazard was immense to pick Fabregas out and you know Fabregas has not had many opportunities to play the hero uh frequently this season uh he's maybe been the anti-hero in the midfield at times and he he took a shot and you initially thought that that was going to be the start of a, a little bit of a goal fest because oh it's four minutes in it's pretty exciting we're, we're moving forward the and then it just it stopped it uh it clenched up pretty pretty darn tight Clayton, I guess, I mean, is that how you were thinking? You you get off to a great start, the team looks like they're clicking, and then it didn't click. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of been a pattern in the last couple of games. Certainly um, last Sunday when we played Southampton, I thought for the first 20, 25 minutes we were really good and then it just completely tailed off towards half-time. And it was fairly similar yesterday. The only thing I would say, the main difference yesterday, was that I didn't actually think... I mean, although we were faffing about um, a lot, I didn't actually think that there was any threat from Swansea. I mean, I, I'm staggered at those those statistics. I really am, because they may have had a bit more possession in the second half, but in the first half, I can't actually remember them doing anything. Um, I, I think that we have just been very wasteful. In terms of our possession, we give the ball away too much, and I think that yesterday was, was another example. It was a team that we should have... I mean, we should have been gone by the time half-time came because they were so poor and they were struggling and yet we're not creating enough I think there were too many players who were off yesterday um, I mean Giroud as great as he was in the semi-final I thought he was very poor yesterday I thought the ball just didn't stick to him at all um, and Hazard seemed to be playing on his own um, I don't know what you think Dan I, I just... It just didn't seem to be going anywhere, and that there, there just seems to be a lack of urgency. Yeah, it, it looked to be, uh, you know, just ha- a little off step, a little out of pace, um, you know, and uh, we're, we're starting to play with formations again. We're putting uh, Cahill back as kind of back in now for Christensen. You know, we we have you know Rudiger and Aspilicueta there. We brought Emerson in, who hasn't played as much with the rest of the team. Bakayoko is out there, so it's kind of like playing with ten men, um, which is a really kind of weird thing to say about a you know forty million pound signing. And it, it's 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 like we're trying to play Legos without the right piece, like we took two sets and we threw them together and we, we don't have the instructions to build either of them. And we're thinking we could do it by memory. And that's not where this side is. Like there's no, you know, cerebral AI link between these players at this point in time. And you almost think that it's just trying to get to the end of the season, trying to do just enough to hopefully win an FA cup. And, you know, hopefully luck into or back into a fourth place spot. If, the results can go our way, not just for us, but you know, against other teams. It's it's pretty interesting. Last week's discussion was: Can Giroud lead the line next season? Can he be our number one? And now we're getting questions from Giza's CFC: Is Giroud better off the bench? Is he a super sub? Um, you know, Brit Mo G on Instagram also saying: For all of Giroud's animations last week, when the ball placement wasn't getting where he wanted it. What was up with him today? Ask and ye shall receive. Then he gave it away each time. Uh, it's like he was off his game or possibly the weather was affecting his control. Guess that's more of a comment than a question. But eh, she likes him. But it just, you know, either he needs to be teamed up with Murata like we saw last week or brought in at the end of the game. Uh, it, you know, it's it's just I think this goes to show you that it, it's easy to get wrapped up in, in, in small flashes of greatness or, you know, terribleness of players. And this just goes to, also show how difficult Conte's job is. I don't think anyone after last week would have been like, yeah, why would you not play Giroud? Like, he was in great form. He, you know, he twisted and turned up four Southampton defenders before poking it away in an FA Cup semifinal Wembley. Like, the guy's got, you know, cold blood in his veins. He's good to go. And then, unfortunately, this week, 
you get a little bit of, of a really relapse you know like i said maybe the rain was making it difficult for him to hold up or whatever but again these are all of like the the small things go into deciding a lineup in in, in scouting players and it's far more complex obviously than what any of us probably have an idea about but you know like i said clayton it's a season is a long time over many months and and we obviously take it in very small increments on on podcasts like ours yeah i mean it it was interesting with Giroud yesterday because as you say Conte had no option he had to start with him he was so good against Southampton and, and has been um has played very well for us since he's been with us. But I, I think, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I don't think he scored when he started a premiership game, but has six goals coming off the bench. So that does tell you something. And I remember that when, whenever we played Arsenal, when Giroud came off the bench, I was worried because he inevitably scored against us. He, he is a good talent and I suspect it's frustrating for him. It's difficult to know how the team was set up yesterday in terms of Giroud because it's all very well where you've got your wing backs but where you've got William playing as well as Hazard or you've got Pedro you've got two people who can then play the ball into Giroud he was doing a lot of stuff yesterday where the ball it's okay where the ball's played into him in the air his, his flicks and his knockdowns were fantastic still yesterday but anything that was played into his feet yesterday he lost and Every single time we had good possession, we seemed to make the wrong decisions. Um, or there was a perfect example, um, absolutely fantastic, fantastic run um, from Emerson. And he drew everybody away from him. And Hazard was standing clear. And Emerson had a shot. Nothing wrong with the shot. It was a good shot. But we just didn't seem to make the right decisions at the right times. So I think the whole thing with Giroud, going back to that, was that he just he couldn't hold the play up as as he has done in previous weeks. Um, and you're going to come on to the next um, the next question. And I think this is something which has to be asked about Giroud. So, Brenda, if you want to kick off the next question then we'll, we'll we'll wonder why no absolutely so i mean the next one we have is essentially that you know conte he reverted back to his late game substitutions yesterday uh 81st minute he made a double switch uh hazard came off for william uh we can discuss whether or not william was happy or not uh and then fabregas came off for pedro and then a few minutes later in the 85th minute Giroud came off for Murata. So, uh, again, for the life of me, I can't understand why Antonio didn't make a change sooner. Uh, I know we have to suffer, as Antonio tells us every press conference, and as Dan and Marco and Liam were, were laughing about on Twitter <laughs> on Saturday. Um, but, man, like this game was screaming out for a change in the second half. It, it was, and you know, I think it's a joke, right? You know, the whole suffering comment, it's you know probably the, the way it's translated or the way that you know, Conte intended it from you know, Italian to English interpretation was probably not in the way that we've started to take it. But uh, when you have an advertising campaign that's thrilling since 1905 and that is the end product you put on the field, uh, it, it is definitely uh, suffering and all ways and senses of the word. And from a substitution standpoint, you would have expected 
and maybe a, a little sooner. You know, I, I thought maybe Zappa Costa would have come in and you know, to kind of liven up the wings. I mean, we, we were getting space down the wings. It was the midfield that was a, a little bit of a an issue, especially with you know Bakayoko, um, you know, dispossessed a few times, not really looking like he was fully uh, jacked into the game. Conte having to do the work of you know more than one player again, proving that he is uh, by far and away uh, the best individual player on this team this season. And it was uh, I I just have to continue to scratch my head. I, I don't understand you know if if you're gonna want to play you know this three five two and you want it to be dynamic and attacking and to take the ball forward and to free up Hazard to be his best. Uh, you know, we should have done what we played against Southampton and let Giroud and Morata, you know, go up front up top. And that way Hazard has a little bit more freedom in kind of that, that 10 roll to float around and, you know, to flirt in and out and come in from the wing and, and choose his spot. And, you know, he, he's, he's the hot hand right now. And I, I just, I couldn't for the life of me understand the initial lineup. And then the fact the substitutions went the way that they did Clayton just left me scratching my head and wondering, uh, Again, I think it goes back to that narrative. Like, are we just trying to limp across the line at this point in the season? It certainly looks that way. Um, the 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 point is that the last this this year's not been good, and the whole Conte body language has all been really quite poor. But in the last three, four games, Conte's been moving again on, on the touchline. Conte seemed engaged. And therefore, as you say, the lineup yesterday was, was a real head scratcher. Um, I'm all for trying to work out and discover, um, whether there is a footballer, uh, in Bakayoko. Um, but something I tweeted out yesterday, he continues to look like somebody who's won a prize in a raffle uh, to be a premiership footballer for a day. He just basically just does not, he looks lost whenever he's playing. And it's, it's such a shame. It's a shame for us um, because yesterday we might as well have been playing with 10 men. Um, Sesk, I thought had a decent game yesterday, but he just hasn't had the legs. So instead of having the Kante twins yesterday, we had the Kante triplets because he was doing the job of three men. He was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The substitution thing, I just don't get. I mean, it was obvious to anybody that was watching that Giroud just, it, it wasn't on his game. It happens. So get him off. You got Morata, half an hour to go. When Morata came on with eight minutes to go, you could tell he just didn't want to be there. He, he just basically, it, it was raining, it was wet. What, what do I want to go and get my hair wet for eight minutes? Just wasn't a thing with him. Um, and a little bit with Pedro and William. It's just like, you're bringing me on and I can't make a difference. I, we were screaming for some energy and, and just finally, I do not understand on what planet or what on what level you would ever take Hazard off. And I think Hazard's been substituted a lot this season and a lot under Conte. And I just don't get it. I mean the guy is a genius. Is an absolute genius. And if anybody could do anything, if you know, if Swansea had equalized, where was anything coming from? I just find I he's he seemed to have got over his sort of strange substitution thing and, and his substitutions last week against Southampton worked and were very good. But I don't know, Brandon, I just a very strange.
No, absolutely. And you're actually not the only person who's thinking that at beer Bauer underscore Andy saying this team is a pain to watch. Conte won't make subs when we needed and we just back off and invite pressure. And let me insert myself in here and say, if you look at the stats, this is 100 percent true. Uh, He continues when we break. That's also a joke because we can't do anything on the break. We need this summer break desperately. So, you know, that's kind of where a lot of fans are, I think, right now. Like, just people aren't as interested on social media. Uh, People aren't as interested kind of on on the engagement side when you have the discussion. It's just kind of all coming to an end this season in a very anticlimactic formation and, you know, I guess in circumstances. And and it's really difficult because, you know, know, for better or for worse, Conte set a really, really high bar for himself, right? Uh, He was was a tactical masterclass last season uh full of energy and passion and um you know uh, to be fair a lot of things went his way this season um i think that if we wouldn't have had so much public complaining about the transfers for so long and that we just kind of talked about our actual reality that fans would be a little more sympathetic towards him but because it kind of went on too long from a fan standpoint and the fact that he just doesn't really seem to be taking a whole lot of responsibility about the situation from an outward appearance um i think that everyone is just kind of like all right let's wrap this one up like let's get to the summer distract ourselves with the world cup and see what happens in in the next season and it's kind of sad that that's the situation we're in uh so we're going to try to pull it out a little bit um, but before we get into more of that, uh, I just real quick wanted to touch on the William omission today. You know, I don't want to compare it to Rudiger because that was very publicly cleaned up and, and said that that wasn't a thing. Um, but man, William obviously, in you know, has been in such good run of form in, in 2018. Uh, he was not happy to be on the bench. He was not happy to be subbed off last week. I get it all. Um, but Polycracker on Instagram dancing. I know it wouldn't just be speculation, but what the hell has happened between Conte and William? In two weeks, he went from a trusted starter to barely making it off the bench. Um, you know, typical, right? We're going to read too far into this. Do you think we're right? Or do you think Uh, we're reading too far into this? (laughs) You know, I I feel like if we try to speculate too, too deep into that, we're going to ruin, uh, palpable discord too. uh, the Antonio Conte edition that Clayton I'm sure is getting ready to pen. So (laughs) I don't want to steal that thunder. Yeah, no, it's it's tempting, but you know what happens. I mean, this whole thing. I don't know about William. I, when William came off last Sunday against Southampton, and people were saying, you know, he was playing really well. I thought he was playing okay. Um, I thought Conte tried to address the situation. Southampton had changed their format, um, their formation rather, and he brought on um, Bakayoko to try and change things, which he did. Um, whether he's fallen out really I don't know I mean it's very difficult to keep a squad of that size happy but you do have to wonder I mean some of the energy and the drive that I mentioned earlier that we're lacking William always gives us William's always taking men on and if you've got William and Hazard doing that it's it's more of a thing I can't read Conte at all because you know it's it's a very very strange situation um, that we're in that Yesterday, he didn't seem, he just seemed to be accepting of this is my team, this is how we're going to play. And when things weren't working out, he didn't seem to be doing anything to change it. So I, I'm not clear what, what, what was going on yesterday. It's just a disappointment that 
you know, we you know are seeing now this body language from the the players in addition to the you know the manager. It was it was bad enough when Antonio Conte didn't look like he wanted to be there at times, or you know, I, I think the 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 theming was that when he got to the track suit uh, track suit versus his typical suit, he had kind of given up a little bit. Um, which I, I don't think you could read entirely into someone's attire about that. But then now that the the players look a little forlorn or a little upset to be coming off for minimal substitute appearances, I mean they they also have a lot of these players because you know Chelsea goes out and tries to acquire the the best talent they can are getting ready for a world cup and they need to play and they want to play so that they can be primed and ready to go you know support their nation when they they go to Russia and ultimately you know if you're not getting that opportunity you're going to be frustrated so yeah you know, I think William probably is looking at you know the uh the winner of the Premier League player for a day, Bakayoko, and saying, well, I don't understand why we're playing a formation where someone is getting an opportunity to wander around the pitch for 90 minutes when I can go out there and actually make an impact. So it, it's just been bizarre. It, it really is. Um, it's like if you let someone play FIFA for the first time and they really didn't understand and they just kind of chose by the names or like the stats of the players and kind of put the formation together and just ran with it. Well, you did a phenomenal job teaming up for this next one, uh, you know, talking about players getting ready for the World Cup. So why isn't Christensen playing? Uh, I think I heard something about Conte saying that he's playing Cahill to help him get a World Cup spot. Um, I, I'm sure I misread this because that would be ridiculous. Um, but at Seb Larson 08 on Twitter said, did you know the reason Christensen didn't play question mark? And I want to hear your thoughts on which formation we should go with not only this season, but forward, I would go with a four, two, three, one is be more attacking. I think it could fit the squad very well. Um, so, you know, assuming I'm wrong because I don't know why Christensen isn't playing lately. Um, should Cahill be playing over Christensen right now, Clayton? I mean, uh, from a form standpoint, from a, you know the the current situation of the season with Rudiker clearly having displaced Cahill at the left center back spot, um, what do you kind of make of all of this? Um, I think that we should go back a couple of weeks because Christensen was was quite obviously struggling. Um, he was sent back um, from international duty because they felt he was struggling as well. He's a young kid. He's played more games than he would have done. Uh, I think Louise being out has basically elevated him. Um, I think at the moment they're much of a muchness. I don't think that um, Cahill's played quite well in the last three games. I think, sadly, as we saw yesterday and, and the Southampton game, he's always got a mistake in him, um, but he's recovered well. I just, I mean... I don't think it would make a huge amount of difference and you don't know whether anything's happened um, in terms of Christensen wanting to be rested. I don't I don't suppose any player doesn't want to play. Um, but I wouldn't say. I mean, the, the, the basic facts are that we won our last three games and Christensen hasn't been playing, so the decision is right. I don't, I don't think it could be argued with. Um, I, don't, I, I can't imagine for one minute that um, Conte has any sentimentality about trying to make sure that Gary Cahill's on the plane. I really can't. I think that's a, I think that's a, a distraction. Um, I don't know what you think, Dan. 
I would say that the, you know, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, having to play someone and playing someone just because, you know, you, you want to help them out and their quest to, you know, uh, maybe suffer against Belgium in the uh, the World Cup. Uh, that's going to be a really, really fun match. I'm sure you're looking forward to, Clayton. Um, I, I mean, at least you have World Cup matches to look forward to. So we, we are uh, <laughs> very much looking in. <laughs> it, we're noses and fingers and faces pressed on the outside of the bake shop window looking in. Um, you know, Christensen did come back with a muscular issue from the last international break uh, and has not featured much since. So uh, I, I would imagine there's some level of just making sure, um, you know, look, we, we, we've had an issue with some of these really great young talents who have run into uh, long stretches of, of injury. Um, you know, I think like Rumenloftus' cheek is, you know, finally maybe starting to break out of that mold now at Crystal Palace. And, you know, I, there, I, I think it's a long-term approach. I think it's a looking at the fact that like you had Gary Cahill, who's had a chance to rest a lot this season uh, is now getting opportunity to play a little bit. And, you know, you, you have Rudiger and Aspilicueta who can really help him on the sides. And actually now you have Emerson who is, you know, more defensive than Alonso gives you a little bit more protection and cover there. Uh, Moses is playing a, a little bit better. Um, you know, and then you have Conte in front. So, I mean, even if Gary Cahill makes the occasional mistake, uh, you know, he's he's very well insulated, I think, at this point in time to maybe just have a run out and give Christensen a little bit of a break because I think to that point, you know, he has played a ton this season and the mistakes started really to happen much later into the season, not very early on. So uh, I do think there's a, a forward-thinking approach here that like we want him to be a star center back for Chelsea for a very, very long time and we want to help him condition appropriately to, to reach that point. Um, yeah, I... I it's it's unfortunate to not let to you know get to see him play. We're all very much big fans of the Danish prince here, but it's all about you know I think the long term strategy too. It can't just be about sacrificing you know him and his physical fitness and potentially jeopardizing him you know for next season because we want him to play against Swansea uh, in the race to back into a top four spot. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I'm a little old-fashioned in in the term, in the sense that um, I want my team's captain to play. I think that it's important that a captain plays. Um, it doesn't always mean, you know, that's the right spot. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it is a results business. And if you're getting, you know... Um, if you're getting, you know, some clean sheets, if you're getting the three points, like that, that definitely is important. Um, but we'll see how, you know, the last few matches go and, and kind of how he uses Christensen. Obviously, David Louise, David Luiz is getting close to fitness, but I think it's safe to say that we won't see him this season. So, um, all right. Well, let us know what you guys think about this. Obviously, if there's something about Christensen that you guys want to bring up, um, obviously talking about suffering as a team and the Antonio Conte tactics and subs or lack thereof. And then obviously the, the strike force of Giroud for president, then Giroud for super sub one week to the next. There's uh, there's definitely a lot to unravel there. So with that being said, um, I, I just want to open up to any other additional thoughts or comments that you guys had. I, I did want to bring up the uh, the AU blindsiding Cahill at the end of the 
match uh, in, in Moss essentially letting it go, Clayton. I'm, I, I'm not sure if he's just like, look, the match is almost over. Don't be stupid. Uh, let's just get let's just get off the pitch. But uh, to me, that seems like a like a like an easy call, no brainer. And they can't go back because obviously Moss saw it. He talked to him. He did talk to him, but it could be argued that he talked to him because the line's been flagged. Um, when they showed the angle from the back, it, I mean, it was almost as if the camera was on Moss's shoulder. Um, so how he could not have seen it in the first place, I've got absolutely no idea. But in the same way that last week or the week before, um, that Mike Dean didn't see the Alonso challenge that he seemed to be staring at. I don't know. It was pathetic, really. It was a really dangerous, reckless challenge, and the guy should have just been sent off. But maybe Moss took the attitude, well, I can't be bothered because I'm going to blow the whistle the next time the ball's kicked down the other end. I mean, there is no doubt he had an atrocious game yesterday. Both he and the officials were um, were awful. Um, I think... To be honest with you, in the first half, we got, we got the better of the bad decisions. Um, the one decision where, um, I thought he did very well was on the Cahill quotes penalty where Cahill oh, yeah. quite clearly won the ball first. Uh, I know that the Swansea manager who spent the whole game jumping up and down, um, thought it was a pen but it wasn't and so that was a good decision um, the only other thing I, I, I took out of yesterday is that um, after Thursday uh, when Arsenal played against Atletico Madrid there were a lot there was a huge amount on social media um, about the Atletico goalkeeper Oblak and how he'd be great and how people would like him instead of Thibaut and there was a lot of um a lot of strength behind a lot of those feelings and I, I'm, I'm one of the few people uh, boring, boring but I'm one of the few people who actually likes Tebow and I actually think that we'll be sorry when he's gone um, and I thought he did quite well yesterday because I think a couple of the shots towards the end of the game it was really wet, a couple bounced in front of him and his handling was immaculate so I'm, I'm just waving the flag for Tebow there you go Clayton, a man of pure knowledge and insight and just you know thank you you know because you were a goalie as well right i was yes See? back in the day so you and i realized like the difficulty of of the short hop shot or especially just being on water because it speeds everything up and you have less time to react you know what i i agree i thought the same thing we even had a tweet someone says he earned his paycheck and and while I think that his distribution from his feet is still lacking, I thought he did a really good job of coming out and getting crosses, something that he's had to work on the last couple of seasons. Uh, but yeah, I'm the same way. When, when Courtois goes, uh, whenever, at some point, um, if he's in his prime, I think that uh, he'll have a big, big hole to fill. Right, Dan? I'm sure you just agree blindly with everything we say because we have all this um, experience just, and knowledge over I'm here. I'm so, so excited for Jack Butlin to be our goalkeeper next season oh, when Thibaut Courtois leaves. Yeah, be great it'll be so amazing that the relegation led stoke will uh sell us jack butlin and we'll continue to just take substandard players and put them into key positions that'd be fantastic well let's go ahead and talk about non-substandard players with your man of the match poll big time 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, more, more standard answers this week. You know, I tried to, you know, bring, bring it a little bit more back in line. And we had N. Hazard with 27%, uh, Azpilicueta with 14%, Chaos Agent himself, John Moss, took 16% of the vote, and N'Golo Conte wraps it up with 43%. But uh, he does have to split that amongst the three of him, the triplets. So uh, I guess that would technically make Hazard the winner if we had to split it three ways. But we'll, we'll combine and say N'Golo won. You got quite a bit of heat for not putting the the match winner in this poll. Oh, Fabregas? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, if he can't run the full 90 minutes, he doesn't deserve to be in this poll. Hmm. It, there's, 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 a lot of, there's a lot of jogging that is, is occurring in his game right now that is uh, quite suspect. Do you guys know that um, the TV coverage over here, the co-commentator is a certain uh, Chris Sutton, mm-hmm. who basically was a Chelsea centre forward in name only. Um, and he made Cesc Fabregas the man of the match, which was particularly hysterical because Hazard, Kante, Azpilicueta was so far ahead of anybody else in that Chelsea team of being man of the match. It was embarrassing. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would have said Rudiger would have been an option too. He, he was playing great, had that one run and slide tackle where it looked like he kind of pulled his hamstring. Um, yeah, the, he, he was immense the, in, during the game. Emerson, I think, played really well. I mean, there were some good individual performances. It was just a lot of you know, discombobulation when it came to actually taking all those great individual plays and making them cohesive. So, you know, Fabrias, 50th goal, you know, in the Premier League. I, you know, he got it at the end of the day, right? You have to score goals. I mean, none of those other guys did. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing here is, is Mike, uh, you know, on our podcast producing this, you know, saying jogging is being generous to Fabregas, uh, and that he had a brilliant four minutes. So, you know, sometimes that's all, that's all you need, right? I mean, without Fabregas, we wouldn't have won that match essentially. If, 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 if you would have played it out otherwise, uh, he did enough to get the bottle of champagne and the yellow, uh, stacking block that is known as a Premier League player of the match award. So, you know. You take what you can get from them sometimes. Um, all right. We're still doing this, much to probably people's confusion. Uh, top four standings, the table. Man City won it. United beat Arsenal today, 2-1. to one. Uh, Liverpool third. Uh, they have 36 games played on 72 points. So this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to let Dan... Uh, go on uh, down a wormhole or two. Uh, Spurs in fourth on 34 <laughs> points. They play tomorrow on Monday, uh, and they are on 68 points. Chelsea are on 35 matches played on 66 points. Uh, thankfully, uh, Burnley and Arsenal are still fighting for that last Europa League spot, and we have a huge amount of separation, so we don't have to worry about that uh, nightmare coming back to reality. So, Dan, we're at 66 points, two points behind Spurs. They have a game in hand. And then we have one game in hand against Liverpool, and that is who we play next, which we'll talk about soon. So walk us through the situation for top four. Well, you talk about going out of wormhole. I hope it's the one that could take us to a time and place where we we didn't uh, draw against West Ham or Leicester or lose to Watford or Bournemouth, and we were just like nicely nestled in the top four spot and didn't have to worry about it. But that's actually not where that wormhole goes. Um, 
538, which is a uh, kind of number crunching site, part of the ESPN family, uh, has increased actually our odds from 1% uh, in 1% of 100 simulations. We ended up in top four to 4% uh, after the Liverpool uh, drawing the last two matches and then uh, us winning our match, which was uh, quite exciting to see uh, that we've gone up three whole and uh, in, in three now more out of 100 permutations, uh, we have made it into a top four spot. But you're essentially, you know, we, we still need to beat Liverpool, which is the next big kind of hurdle to overcome uh, and win our remaining matches. You know, Liverpool does have a pretty uh, light schedule outside of having to uh, face us. Um, but if they were to lose two um, and, you know, then potentially like draw or it's it's getting into the point where it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but as Mike is kind of uh, tapping us in, in kind of our message thread here, uh, you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. It's slim. Uh, you're essentially hoping and rooting for any side that's playing against Tottenham or Liverpool uh, to do the best that they can. And we still have to win out, which is actually the, the more worrisome thing. You know, uh, thankfully, Roma uh, does have to play Liverpool pretty hard coming up here. Uh, Tottenham, Harry Kane has looked a little bit out of form, which is uh, bad for England in the World Cup, but great for us um, from a club perspective. So we'll see. It, it, it's still, we made it harder on ourselves than we needed to, um, you know, but that's what happens when you start writing your paper, you know, three hours before it's due. You know, you can't expect to get an A plus and just walk in, you know, with your 20 page dissertation at the last minute. Uh, Clayton, what do you think about top four? Are we really holding on too long, or is there still a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel? Uh, not a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say it. Can't say it at all, because the, the, the one thing that isn't talked about is the fact that our goal difference is so much worse than both Spurs and Liverpool. Um, and I just... Spurs have got... Um, Watford tomorrow night and I think Watford have been on the proverbial beach since about January um, and I can't see them slipping up they do have to go to West Brom I think and then I think they've got Brighton um, I mean it, it will be interesting if and it's a it's a huge if because looking at the way we played against Swansea um, I think it's going to be tough to beat Liverpool but if Liverpool, I, it's it's a really difficult thing. I don't know. I think if they get through um, and they get to the final, I think their minds will be on that. Uh, if in any way they manage to screw up and lose, that will have a huge effect on them as well. So I think either way, um, I think Liverpool's going to find it quite difficult to either pick themselves up or get themselves up for that game. Um I, as I say, I, I I can't see it myself. I mean, the the out of all of the calamities this year, not beating West Ham a couple of weeks ago is is really coming back to haunt us because those two points we'd be level with Spurs at the moment um, and only four points behind Liverpool. So yeah, no, I think it's I think we've left ourselves with too much to do. I hope not, but I, that's that's what I think. What I will say, what it has given me a, a touch of hope is West Brom has actually decided to give a damn in the last, like, you know, and just saying, hey, you know what? We're going out in style and we're kind of carving out these wins and these draws. So 
maybe there's a chance to, to nick some points there. And, you know, Newcastle has played well. Um, you know, I, I think they can give Spurs a little run for their money. And, you know, Leicester has kind of had a weird turn to form. Um, but you never know. They, they could pop up. So, I, I mean, I still think Tottenham is the one that's most likely to do something versus Liverpool. I think Liverpool is the harder one to catch because they have the extra, you know, four four points there above um, even Tottenham. So ultimately, it's uh, it, it's a crapshoot. It really is. You're asking for a lot, a lot of luck. And again, we also have to win out. And that's that's the more concerning thing to me. Is like, you know, if we luck into it and we handle our business, then we deserve to get it. But if we can't win, then we we don't deserve it. And that, that that's why you know the Premier League is is fun and chaotic and wonderful and terrible and amazing and awful all at the same time. Yeah, we got to keep pushing. Obviously, top four uh, would be an amazing recovery this season, but it'd be amazing because of what all would have happened to actually have that come true. So anyways, uh, that'll wrap up our match review. So uh, real quick, though, Dan, uh, we do want to point out that we uh, are pretty active on social media, pretty proud of it, like to uh, chat with all of our um, listeners and also at a very extended Chelsea community out there. We're getting really close to a big milestone for us, aren't we? I, be- I believe it's a, uh, you know, getting inching, inching closer and closer to uh, about 10,000 followers on the old Twitter, which is probably where we, I mean, it's where this podcast was formed, um, not not in a pub like Chelsea, but uh, over the uh, digital equivalent of a town hall. And yeah, we, uh, if you don't follow us there, you, I mean, I imagine you would, but if you don't, you should. And, you know, keep on uh, enjoying the content there. You know, we appreciate uh, Mike has done a lot for for our graphic stuff, Rainier Blues, and he's been a wonderful asset to us there. And, you know, you always can tell uh, if it's Nick tweeting because it's usually all caps and angry. Uh, it's like yelling, but with a keyboard. And uh, everything else is usually uh, myself or Brennan. So go follow us there. <laughs> Much more even cube. Yeah, that's right. At London Blue Pod. So anyways, we have some social media questions as always. Uh, Want to throw out there that we didn't have any yaps. A little disappointed. I do really enjoy pulling those and letting you guys ask the questions essentially on our podcast with your audio. So uh, let, let's get that back going again. I, I'd love to have that end. But Clayton, as I kind of mentioned before the podcast, I am reading your book right now, Palpable Discord. Uh, and, and at the beginning, you talk a little bit about how you became a Chelsea fan and kind of your family dynamic. So my question to you is actually your family split between Chelsea and Spurs fans. Is that right? Um, historically, yes. Um, Did you start the split? I mean, my, my dad's brother was a mad, my late um, uncle was a mad Spurs fan. And, I'm not sure, uh, and it's it's one of those things that you you don't ask your folks, and sometimes it's too late to ask the question. Sadly, but I don't think my dad really liked football that much. Um, and for some reason, I was I I thought the blue of Chelsea was lovely, and my uncle used to take me to Spurs, and it took me years to realise that he only ever took me to see them play rubbish teams. So I never saw Spurs score less than about five goals. Um, and yet for all his prompting and all his um, kindness in taking me to see Spurs play, um, I didn't want to support them. And um, 
when we lost the 1967 cup final and yes i am that old i cried and and there was no turning back then so i stopped going to um i stopped going to spurs and um i started my dad i think took me started to take me to chelsea which was which was kind of him um so that part of the family uh my cousins they all still support spurs um but um no it was it wasn't for me i just love that obviously you know we're american fans very new to it as well and they're i don't know it's just kind of fun to hear that like you know sometimes you went against family lines and uh we are so glad you did clayton so thank you for that that's kind of you to say so and i'll just tell you a little story that my son when he was about four his best friend at nursery was a spurs fan and he came home one day um and he said to me daddy said um I think when I'm a little bit older, I'm going to decide whether I'm going to support Chelsea or I'm going to support Spurs. And I said to him, that's absolutely fine, son. Um, but you do realize that if you support Spurs, you can't live with us. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me as a four-year-old and he thought I was joking, but I wasn't. And so he's now Big Blue <laughs> as well as his dad. That's amazing. It, hey, you can make your own choices, son, but uh, there are repercussions. This is life. <laughs> exactly. Learn uh, about reality at a very, very young age. I love it. All right. Uh, from the social webs, we have Alonzo versus Emerson debate. Obviously, Alonzo coming off suspension. So at V Factor 07 saying Emerson was excellent. Next week, Alonzo will be back. So will it be justified if he starts over Emerson after his recent uh, brilliant performances? To which at Gungaye responded, uh, he won't, sadly. He plays his favorites over what is better for the team. If Alonzo and Bakioko start versus Liverpool it'll be game over and then we kind of get into Bayou City Blues and you know everyone's saying why do you hate Alonzo the man is brilliant um and 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 anyways yada yada right like this is the debate though that's going on on Twitter is Alonzo versus Emerson I think Clayton you you teed it up really well right that they're different we have two different options now and that is a great situation to have so I think Think knowing that we play Liverpool next, uh, Clayton, would you lean one way or the other uh, between uh, Alonso or Emerson? I think it's a great problem because I don't think if you start either one of them, it, it weakens the team. So I I can't see it as a problem. I was absolutely astonished. Um, we knew that Emerson was going to start against Burnley, and I think perhaps even Conte um, was surprised at how good he was because I was absolutely convinced that he was then going to put Zappa Costa in against Southampton, uh, but he didn't, and he stuck with him. And um, as I say, I I don't think it harms the team if either one of those guys play. Uh, Dan, do you have a preference between one of the two? I think. You know, I, um, I, I would actually honestly say if you could, um, yeah, I mean, I think Emerson will be the starter for the long term. I think Alonzo is going to get the remainder of the matches this season and uh, it's going to be up to what happens with formations and everything next year. Uh, but I think Alonzo uh, on merit through the entirety of the season uh, should get the start once he returns from suspension. Awesome. Uh, fun one from at Nels Johnson too on Twitter saying, if you can only have one, who do you choose to have as a regular in next season's squad? Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi or Tammy Abraham? What do you think about that one, Dan? Uh, I, I think 
a doi probably would also have the higher propensity propensity to start matches versus abraham would probably be behind a couple players and uh when it's youth players it's all about getting an opportunity to play in minutes and so i probably would say that if you could play him out in the right in a front three um that would be ideal so uh, yeah i I would go with hudson adoy clayton no no about you yeah, I think it's difficult because Hudson Odoi is now at a stage where he's actually too good for the level that he's playing at, um, but perhaps not good enough for the first team just yet. Um, I, th- I mean, if if I was pushed, I would put Hudson Odoi ahead of Tammy Abraham. Um, I think Tammy Abraham is unlucky that we've now got Giroud because I think that's part of Tammy's strength with his height and his physicality. Um so yeah, I I would say Hudson Adoy, but I think there is more chance that he'll be sent out on loan next year. Sadly, yeah, I just think that Tammy's season in the Premier League gives him a, a big edge over Hudson Adoy. Uh, but by no means is that me writing off uh, Callum Hudson Adoy. He's been fantastic uh, for the youth teams this season. Um, interesting one, I guess. You know, having Clayton on, really want to touch on this before we wrap up is essentially the importance of an English core for Chelsea. Uh, is that something that is important to you? Uh, this came about because we bought Ross Barkley. We bought Danny Drinkwater. Um, you know, Cahill obviously is still there. But uh, is that an important thing for you, for your Chelsea? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, it, it came about, I mean, it, it occurred to me there, w- there was a game earlier in the season where we had a completely overseas eleven. And that was when uh, I think Cahill wasn't in the side. And it's, it sort of really strikes you. I mean, it's, it, the game's become so global. Um, but it is, it's sad. It's not essential for me that we have an English player playing, but I, I, I prefer it because I think we're an English club. And I think it's, although it's a, a global game, a global league, it's it's very difficult because the the thing is that we we do have a core of English youth players coming through, but if Gary Cahill doesn't deserve his place, I don't want him playing because somebody's saying um, we've got to have an English player. I think it's it's a deeper question than that. It's all about the dressing room. It's all about caring, and it's all about having something. It's, a, it's about having leadership, and I think that's one of the big things that we don't have at the moment, which is why games like yesterday drift. Is because nobody's screaming, nobody's sort of shaking people and saying, come on, we've got to do this, we've got to do X, Y, and Z. Gary Cahill's a leader, but he's a very quiet leader, so we don't perhaps see some of his qualities. But yeah, I'm going off point slightly. Uh, the purchase, I, uh, I don't know if you want to lead into the, the next question, but why did we buy Ross Barkley? I've got no idea. I think there is a little thing about that we do need to have some English players if we're going to be in Europe. Uh, I can understand why we bought Ross Barkley because if Ross Barkley gets fit, fifteen million pounds is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, I can also understand why we bought Danny Drinkwater because Danny Drinkwater is a decent player, uh, but for some reason Conte just won't play him. He, I know he's not been fit, um, but I think Drinkwater's been unlucky in terms of, of selection. Obviously, a lot of injuries have have not helped him as well. Um, all right. Well, 
Dan, I'm going to skip you on that one, unfortunately. So we're going to go right into the match preview. Uh, it will be Liverpool. Everyone's aware of this. Uh, it's a bit. It's a big one for us, obviously, if we want to have any chance of keeping that top four alive. Uh, but it'll be at Stamford Bridge this coming Sunday, May 6th. A uh, pretty interesting comment from Instagram from R. Dale Hall saying, you hear about U.S. college football coaches holding back players uh, late in the season so that their opponents can't see them on film. Um, and then all of a sudden the coaches will put him back in, kind of surprise some opponents. D- does Antonio have anything up his sleeve for Liverpool? Dan, what do you think about this kind of strategy? God, I fucking hope so. Um, I mean, uh, it, it ultimately will be the determining factor between if we are uh, going to be playing in the uh, wonderful city of Baku again or if we potentially will be playing in cities like uh, Paris or Madrid uh, next season. So, um, yeah, shout out to uh, our Dale and uh, our friends in the uh, the Chicago area for the Chelsea supporters out there for that question. But, yeah, it's um, – I mean, the only thing that potentially we could play around again with is I think the the three five two where we had Morata and Giroud up top. Um, I, I really don't want to you know play the suffer FC format and try to win a one nil game because they are really really good at scoring goals. Um, and so I don't think we're going to be able to hold a clean sheet against them. Though Stoke managed to uh, do a really nice job against. Um, Liverpool the other day, but th- I think that came down to a little bit more luck on their side, and I doubt that uh, Liverpool is going to be unlucky multiple times in the uh, the next few weeks. Uh, you know, the crazy thing with this, obviously, is that um, they have one game in hand, so if we beat Liverpool and win our game in hand, we'll be level on points. Obviously, Clayton, you talked about the goal difference being massive, and there's no way we're going to catch that. Um, I also think that uh, their match midweek against Rome will be a big influence for this match. Uh, if they win, great. If they, uh, then that, that will help them. If not, if they don't win and they somehow lose three nothing, just like Barcelona did to Roma earlier in the Champions League, they just think that some of this could really affect them because they they have been picking up some injuries as well. Uh, you know, it's just a lot to go into this, but I don't want to get too far into it. Clayton, I just want to give me a thumbs up, thumbs down for this Liverpool match at home. i got to give you a thumbs sideways. <laughs> That's totally I, fair. I think, <laughs> I, I think it'll be a draw. Um, my my biggest concern, and it has been all season, is it's been our midfield. Um, and I think that... If we're going to get anything out of the game, we're going to have to pack our midfield. But I couldn't tell you who... Um, who who would be playing? I I, re- I really can't see us going into the game with Bakayoko. I just think he's going to get blown away. Um, I don't know if Salah will play. Perhaps he will. Maybe he'll be on the bench. Um, I think it's good. I think it's going to be a tough ask. I think we sit here and we talk about Chelsea, and we do have to sometimes sort of sit back and say the table doesn't lie. You know, these teams are above us because they're better than us. Um, there may be margins um, they're not massively better than us but they are better than us um, you know you look at the table um, we've all won the same amount of games but we've lost nine games this year you know Liverpool have only lost four Spurs have only lost six we <laughs> it's it's going to be very difficult we, we beat Spurs um, and we beat United at home 
So maybe there is a chance. Um, but, but those guys who played yesterday, they've got to step up. You could, that, that level of performance will not beat Liverpool. Well, the biggest thing we can stand on is that uh, we can't get close to Mohamed Salah's 31 Premier League goals, but we do have N'Golo Kante with 104 tackles. <laughs> that's that's really all I've got when it comes to leaders between the two teams. So anyways, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us yet again. Uh, Clayton, an even bigger thanks to you for taking time out of your Sunday evening to chat with us. Uh, obviously, we love, love, love hanging out with you every time we get a chance and are already looking forward to our next London trip to say hi. Yeah, absolute pleasure, guys. Um, always really happy to uh, to come on to the podcast and speak to you and your listeners. Um, absolute pleasure. I'm so sorry that I missed you in London uh, last time you were over. Uh, but um, hopefully I won't be on holiday next time you come. We will we'll just consult you next time. We'll make sure that you'll be around uh, so we can make it happen. All right. We'll, we'll make sure those schedules overlap a little bit better. <laughs> I, it's what, what, what you've got to do is you've got to get hold of uh, the my calendar here. Uh, the wife is in charge of that, so I'll have to keep you uh, updated. Perfect. Well, again, we thank you. And for all of you Chelsea fans, you've got the week off. So Sunday is the next one up. And until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. London is Blue podcast presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.